So we thought it'd be good this morning if Bernie read our, our passage of scripture for us and then prayed for our offering. And you're welcome to say something too. That's right. Um, I'm going to read out of the Pew Bible or the Chair Bible. Uh, <laughs> it's on page 1289 if you're going to follow along. James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If someone will say, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Page <laughs> Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And pray for our offering. Uh, you want the usher to come forward? Yes, let's yeah. have the ushers come forward. Uh, ushers, ushers, go ahead and come, come up forward, forward please. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's a true blessing to see the uh, abundance that God continues to pour and I will encourage all of you, if you have any space, make your faith real and works. So we dedicate this offering to him. Father God, I thank you for the abundance that you have blessed us with. I thank you that when we turn our face to you and we pray, you will heal our land. And Father, I pray for that healing to begin by the abundance that we give in this offering. Let it be dedicated to your work in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we come to your word now, Father, your precious, holy, perfect truth, God, let us be people who are hearers and not, not just hearers, but also doers. Speak to our hearts as only you can do by your spirit in those inmost places. I pray, God, that you would speak to us first of your love and your grace. But then, God, also convict us. Lord, we need the conviction of your spirit. Father, would you please, God, as we read this really challenging text now, affirm our walk with you. Or, God, if we are distant, draw us to you. Thank you, God, that you are so good, that you meet with us. It's your presence. It's your presence that we long for. And in your presence is fullness of joy forevermore. 
pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to Risen Life. Um, thanks for making worship a priority and, and being here and saying this is more important than walking in the mountains today or doing something fun out there. This is meeting with God. Thank you for doing that. And uh, we have mentioned already there's a women's retreat going on and uh, 57 women are up there. We've got a couple pictures. Oh my gosh, that's a big crew, right? A couple, there they are. So they're up there uh, pursuing God too. What a great thing. And we just want to let you know also we got VBS coming up here June 27th to 30th. And that's going to be a great week in the evenings for families, both adults and kiddos. Hope you'll make uh, room for that in your schedule. And then we just want to let you know in a couple weeks is Memorial Day weekend and we're going to have just one service and it'll be back outside in the parking lot like we did two years ago, you know. So uh, do that and then we're going to have a lunch served by the men's ministry uh, following that. But we're in the book of James this morning and um, we're in chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. And uh, this is a book that's talking about how to have faith that works. How do we practically live out our faith, that when we personally put our faith in Christ, it should change us. We call it real life transformation. It changes us. It, it starts to work in us to draw us into the person of Christ and be that in our own lives. But today's text, I think, really is the thesis of the whole book of James. And maybe the hardest text. And the one that's probably most talked about um, because of the hard words that come at us here. Um, that speak to us what James is really trying to get at. And that is that an authentic faith in Jesus is lived out in a life of blessing and service and works to his kingdom's advancement. So I want to talk about this basic thesis this morning. And then I want to work at two questions after it. And that is what are these works that he's talking about and how do I be a genuine Christian. So those are three points this morning. First of all, faith without works is dead. That's the thesis. Look at verse 14. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? In verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Okay, so that, there's, there's James' thesis for the whole book. Here's how you live out your life, but here it is. If you are a person of genuine faith, it should change your life. And if you don't have a changed life, your faith is dead. That's a strong, kind of scary statement. You know, many people, this is another way to say it, many people claim to be Christian, and they might be in churches, and they might participate in church, they might have some semblance of morality about them, but they are spiritually dead. They're not saved. That's some here this morning, right? In a congregation of this size, over these next two services, I'm sure, right? In this church and in churches all across the valley that we gather, somebody, some people are in this category. They're here just for personal gain. I, I, I've, I've met people along the way in, in my ministry, and, and I love church gatherings. But sometimes I'm with people, and I talk to them on Sunday morning, and you can kind of just feel like they're just really here for maybe their business, right, to make sure they kind of meet some new contacts and they talk about that. Or they're here just for their own personal kind of check the box and be seen. In fact, 
back when I was in college, I had a, a person who was new to our congregation invite me to a Bible study. Would you come be part of this new Bible study? And I got there, and it was an Amway sales meeting. <laughs> no joke. I'm like, what the, like, right? This is this guy, like, he's not really here for Jesus. He's here for business. Genuine faith changes our heart and it's reflected in our life. Jesus says, when you are put your faith in me, you're a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Our affections change now for Jesus above the world and our allegiance changes. He is our Lord, not ourselves. And Jesus reflected this even in his uh, teachings at the end of his life after he had risen from the dead and given the great commission, words that we're so familiar with. But we sometimes miss the important part of this, I think. They're all important. But, but listen, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, right? This is what we're called to do. That we're familiar with. Baptize them like we did last week in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then we just say, done, right? Like, okay, make disciples and baptize them. But rarely do we emphasize this next phrase, which is an equal part of this great commission. Then we are to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's what we're to do. Teach disciples to obey everything. That's what it means to be a disciple, to obey, to be a follower of Jesus. To be a disciple is to be people who obey his commands. Now, we want to be really careful here, okay, because we are not saying we are saved by works, okay? That's really important to hear. We're going to talk, I mean, this is a big discussion that centers around this passage and has been debated by theologians for centuries. I mean, Paul is really clear in, in his writings, um, and the Bible as a whole from Genesis on is clear that we are saved by grace through faith, Romans 3.28, we find this. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Okay? So, so we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's a big teaching of the Scripture. We could spend a lot of time talking about a lot of verses that say that. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. But what James is articulating today is that this salvation changes us, right? Um, Paul's teaching in Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your doing, your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Again, we often stop there to emphasize the gospel and leave out this next verse that then says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so a Christian believes, is saved by grace through faith, but then does the good works that God calls them to do. Now look at Sometimes this is slow, progressing, right, in our lives. Our lives are changed slowly over many years, over a long time. God sanctifies us. This is a long journey, right? Lots of ups and downs. 
But there is real lasting change for the true believer. Uh, Tim Keller often says it this way, that we are accepted by grace, therefore we obey. Not we obey and therefore we're accepted. Okay, that's works righteousness. So we're saved by grace through faith and then we obey. Now an objection is raised in our text. James brings it up. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So, one objection is said, well, look it. Um, if you have faith, right, that's what I am. I'm a person of faith, right? But over here is a person who's a person of works, right? James says, no, those two always go together. They're inseparable. Right? And then he gives an example of the demons, right? Who, by the way, have faith? <laughs> Do they not? They believe. It says they believe God is one, right? They know that well. In fact, they probably in many ways have better theology than us because they know better than us in some ways, right? They are completely convinced that there is one God and he is God over all. They know that. And it says they shudder at that thought because they are so certain of it. Yet they are opposed to God. They have no works. They're enemies of God. They're doing Satan's busy, biddings and therefore they are lost and they are condemned. And so it's pointing out to us that you can have faith and yet be entirely lost and not a follower of Christ at all. So um, as we handle these kinds of texts, one of the really important principles is that um, when you see a word, there can be more than one definition to that word. Like we have, a, if you look in a dictionary, in a given word, there's one, two, three, four, five, six definitions of it, right? That's a normal, there's a, what that's called a, a range of meanings, right? Or a field of meanings. You see two different meanings of faith here. One is the faith of the demons, which is just an intellectual assent to the truth. They agree with the truth. They know the truth. And then there is a faith that is spoken of other places in the scripture that's a faith of surrender and trust in God for salvation. And... James has pointed out that some people just have an intellectual assent. They believe the facts. But there's no peace in their souls and there's no salvation. And others who are trusting Christ for their salvation out of a response of love and they are saved. Okay? So, faith without works is dead is James' argument here and thesis really of the book. Now, let's ask the question, what are these works? Okay, What are these works that we're to do as Christians? Um, and think about this a little bit. And uh, the first example shows up in verses uh, 15 and 16 here. It says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled, Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Right? And, and actually, the, the translators soften this a little bit because this is almost a ridiculous example. The word poorly clothed actually means naked. Like if someone shows up naked, right, and has no food, 
we might say, let's find some clothes for you, right? That, that would be a reasonable response just out of our heart. Like, let's get you clothed. And if you're starving, let's get you some food. And yet, here's a person who says, be warm and clothed and does nothing about it. <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. But the point is this, like, we should be people as Christians of compassion. And seeing needs and able to meet them, we should meet them. It should be our natural inclination to do so and not be callous to the needs of others, not be self-focused. And Jesus, he said it in kind of stronger terms. Um, in Matthew chapter 25, speaking of those who now stand before him at the judgment seat, right, evaluating whether their faith was real and genuine, Jesus speaks to his disciples, for I was hungry and you gave me food, and I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me, and I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Right? These are things we are to do. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer to them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then he goes on to say to those who did not do that, you are to be cast away into eternal punishment. See, what, what is at stake here is actually our, the genuineness of our faith. That we should be, have a heart for those in need around us. And when we see people who are uh, sick or have need of clothing or need of encouragement, that we are to be people who just do that naturally out of the new heart within us. Uh, many of you know Kirk and Crystal Galster. And they're our global partners in, uh, in East Africa. And uh, they have gone just to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a third world nation where there is a great deal of poverty and a great deal of hurt and a great deal of, of financial need. And, um, and I was talking to him this last week, and he was so excited because they've, they've, they've built a bicycle shop, a business, and they're uh, employing people in the city that they're in and uh, learning to build. He's teaching them how to build bikes. He's teaching them how to service bikes. In this culture, you can imagine, there's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bikes. A lot of people don't even have a car. And here he is. Uh, they are developing business models that lets the people make a living and feed their families and, and build infrastructure in the city that actually changes everything. It's the hand and feet of Jesus through, through business. And what a beautiful picture of that. And that's what we are to do. We're to have an inclination and an impulse to meet the needs of people. To show them the love of God that we have been shown in our own soul. Now look, look at Jesus is not telling us to meet every need that we see, right? Even he, like when he came to the pool of Bethesda, and here's all these people that needed healing. I mean, he chose to heal one that day. And many he didn't. We kind of go, well, why not? Well, we don't know the reasons, but we're not called to meet every need we see. But all of us should have an inclination to hear from the Spirit of God when God puts people across our path to be there to meet their needs and not just say go and be warm and be fed. Right? 
John, come on up here for a moment. Let's grab you a stool here. <clears throat> See, one of the challenges, I think, <clears throat> that we face is that as Christians in this place on the East Bench, um, we are insulated from the real needs of people, right? I mean, I, I, when I hear this teaching, I get deeply convicted and... Uh, it bothers me that I don't do more. And it bothers me as a congregation, we don't do better with this. And uh, God has brought me across this guy's path. Hey. Hey. Good morning. And this guy has a real heart to do this. Tell us a little bit about your heart and, and uh, kind of how you came to that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll just start by saying, you know, many decades ago, um, me and a couple buddies uh, were in Logan. We graduated from high school, and we moved up to Idaho for some construction jobs. And as it turns out, it morphed into I ended up working uh, as a piece worker on some uh, big apartment complexes. And I ended up doing it for a number of years, and I did pretty well for myself. So, But in the meantime, I made a, a whole series of bad decisions. You know, I'm just, I'm out there on my own. Uh, drinking age in Idaho was 18 at the time. And I made just a, just a whole bunch of bad decisions. And so as I look back on it now, you know, I realize that, you know, I was only a couple of bad decisions away. Or even if I had had that addictive gene for, you know, alcohol or drugs, that, you know, the grace of God uh, saved me from being homeless. I was, you know, there was a possibility that that's where I'd be because I was hanging out with sketchy people. I was, I was uh, misbehaving. I was having fun. But, you know, that's a side point. But, you know, um, I was doing, I was not doing the right things. And so I can see when I see these homeless guys, and in fact, one of the guys that was my employee for a few years, I see him still in, in some of the news feeds I see him standing in the homeless line I see him in the paper sometimes and and he's he worked for me was a good guy just didn't have it all put together and for the grace of God that could be me so I have a heart for these people realizing how just some some bad decisions can turn you from a useful person in society to um, to a homeless situation, so I, I understand that. Yeah, and I have felt that way too, John. At times I was in a day of kind of serious mental illness, and I would turn to my wife and go, I could so easily be that person. I think it would be good for us to see that that can happen so easily. So you and your wife, Sue, who's up at the women's retreat, doing some teaching up there actually right. this weekend, um, have a real heart for us. You are the deacon leads in our church, and so you have begun to kind of help us uh, connect with these needs better as a church family. Tell us a little bit about that. So when we uh, uh, were asked to join the deacon team, it's kind of right when COVID hit. Yeah. So, you know, we were put in charge of outreach. So it just put, you know, really everything on hold. So since it's eased up a little bit, so we've been looking at, you know, what's available. And, and in that time period, things have changed. Mm -hmm. And so it's, so we have made kind of a list of, 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 of what we can do, and, and some of them have, some of them are during the day, some of them are only on the weekends, some of them you can, you can take 
10 people, a lot of them you can only take five people to a certain thing. So we have made a list of, of opportunities that are out there, and some of them are still not open yet, but we've uh, put that together. And um, as our small group, we've started to do a few things, and I've got some, some dates reserved for uh, the food bank. And, and um, so we've kind of put that together um, for the use of the congregation. Yeah, so you've gone, you've actually made a list of like 20, 25 things we can do, and you have vetted many of them and checked them out so that we, all we got to do is basically show up. And how do we get ourselves set up so that, like, like great idea, want to do it. Now, what do we do to get connected and get going on this? So what we can do is either contact us directly uh, through the church, we're on the Risen Life site, or just call in the office, talk to Courtney or Joshua, and they'll, they'll send you our way, or they'll give you our number, or we'll call you, and then we can find out what, uh, what could work for you. You know, what are your hours, what's going on, and then maybe you see something that, that could use some help, then you let us know too, because our list is just a starting point of what we have. So we just want to, as we get further along, uh, get out in the community. I mean, we still have to take care of ourselves, and we, but, but as we get out, we, we see the people in need, and there's some uh, beauty in serving. Very good, thank you. So let's do that. And one more thing, John. You know, you always make fun of me that I have really dull, boring shirts. Yeah. That's a little dull today, actually. I, 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 didn't I want think I, I think I think like this is better. Well, you, you didn't tell me to wear my clown shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Thank you, brother. <laughs> okay, so we're to be people. This is the first work, right? To be people that are engaged with the community and meeting those that are in special need. Uh, in our congregation. There is a second one, and it shows up here uh, with Abraham. And Abraham, um, verse 21 to 23, we see that his work is really obedience. Look at this. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. What Abraham's response, his work that showed his faith was obedience. God called him to take his son, his only son, up to the mountain and to slay him, to test his heart. It was obedience, right? Now, again, there's some uh, theological work to be done here that's interesting because it says you're justified by works, verse 21, right? Justified by faith in verse 23. I mean, which is it again, right? So look at, again, we, I think we've got to look at that there's actually two definitions here of justification that are going on here. The first one is justification by faith means to be declared righteous, to be declared not guilty. And then justification is used again in verse uh, 21 where it says we are justified by works. And that really is a justification, a second meaning of justification that speaks of proving or demonstrating that we are actually people of faith. And so 
Uh, we got to look at this and go, okay, one, we're saved by, and justified by faith. But then there is a justification that occurs that demonstrates and proves that we are people of faith. And that's what you have in this text. And what Abraham did is he proved his faith. He justified his faith by his actions of obedience. Okay? So these works are, first of all, caring for people around us in need, but also people who obey. He's called the friend of God out of a relationship with God. This is what a relationship does. We want to obey him. If you love me, the Bible says, you keep his commandments. It comes out of this love relationship with God, and it demonstrates itself through obedience. Finally, we see in verse 24, 25, uh, a third work, and it says this. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Okay, we've seen the work of meeting needs. We've seen the work of obedience. But here is the work of participating in God's mission and purposes in the world. That he asks us to live for him and to serve out our days doing his work and his purposes. And we see Rahab doing that. We're going to circle back and talk about that. But here's the, these are the three main works. The works that James is talking about that show that we're truly people of faith. To meet the needs of people. To live a life of obedience. And to live out his mission and purpose in the world. That's, that's how we're to look at ourselves. So let's talk now about this third question. How do I be a genuine Christian? How do I be this person that James says I should be? And how do I make sure I'm not the person that he's talking about that faith is dead? Okay, let's work at this. This is important. This is the personal application. I'm going to say three things here. First of all, let's make sure, make sure that you've experienced true salvation. Make sure that Jesus is your Savior. Make sure you're truly saved. I think it's good for all of us to ask from time to time, is, is this me? Like, am, am I this person that James is talking about who is dead? 2 Corinthians 13.5 says this, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. 2 Peter 1.10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election and your salvation. For if you practice these things, you will never fall. See, so we're to, we're to take time, all of us, no matter who we are, to say, am I in the faith? Do I truly trust Christ? Am I his? Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? Have you asked him to forgive you? Have you given your life and surrendered to him? And then, does your life show it? By the way you live, by the way we've been talking about. Jesus said to look for the fruit. A tree will be known by its Fruit, are you caring for others? Are you obeying? Are you on mission for him? Okay. We've got to all do this. Now, this is not saying we're perfect, right? We know This is not perfection. But it is heart direct, heart direction. It's our trajectory. Right? All of us have seasons of disobedience. All of us have moments where we are strained from God. But is the general trajectory of our life toward obedience to Christ and doing his mission that he calls us to do. 
<clears throat> many, many years ago now, <clears throat> as a pastor, I had a season of introspection like this, that um, um, I didn't really see coming, um, but God was going to uh, chasten me and deal with some sin in my life, and uh, it was hard, it was really hard. And I remember even doubting, like, I'm a pastor now. I've been a pastor for a few years. Am I really even a Christian? Or am I a phony? Am I playing the game? Have I just been doing stuff? But in my own heart, wasn't really seeking to honor Christ. I was just playing the game. That was the questions I was asking myself. It was scary, actually. It was frightening. And... Um, and one of the things I did is bring some good friends around me uh, to share this with. And, um, and I think that's an important thing. Like when we go through these seasons, to bring friends around you to help you look at yourself. And, and like do this thing. Test yourself. Is it true? And I remember sitting in my pastor's office with a good friend. And, uh, you know, he was saying, Kevin... Like, this is ridiculous, right? It wasn't ridiculous to me. But he said, look at all these people driving by. How come they're not asking this question? How come they're not concerned about the sin in their life? How come they don't care about God? How come they're not showing up at church? Why are you here? Why are you even asking the question? It's kind of like an in-your-face conversation, right? You know, see, you care. It matters to you. You are concerned. And that helped me understand. And it reminded me to be kind of careful when we do ask ourselves this question that um, as we look at the fruit in our life, let others help you. But if you're in that place where you're really deeply concerned, <laughs> you're probably a Christian, right? You're probably the real deal because non-Christians don't even care, <laughs> right? But something that we um, all go through and to bring people around us to help us in that that season. So, how do I know if I'm genuine? Well, ask the question and look at your life. Second of all, walk closely with Jesus. This is probably the most transforming thing, I think. Um, in John chapter 15, uh, we see this. If you abide in me, these are Jesus' words, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Here's Jesus concerned about this question. You're going to prove to be my disciples by bearing fruit, and here's how you do it. You abide in me. You walk closely with me. You want to be a genuine Christian? Walk intimately with Jesus. And this is how you do it. Let his words abide in you. Right? And ask, <laughs> and I will answer. So to, to walk intimately with Jesus is to take time to read his word, to pray it out, and then to go and do it. And then review yourself. This is what I, I do this every day. I, I pray out, I read his word, I pray out what he's asking me to do, and then I set out to go do it, and the next morning I come back and I go, how did I do? And if you live intentionally that way, you see, you'll be a fruitful Christian. This is what Jesus is saying. And then he says, but this really last thing, he says, now this is your command. 
love one another as I have loved you. In other words, do this thing in community. Grab a friend, talk faith, right? Jared and I do this all the time. We look at our lives, we talk about our sin, we evaluate ourselves, and be accountable to somebody around you. Right? That's what Jesus said. So um, ask the question, right? Is it me? Am I in? Two, walk closely with Jesus. And then finally, and this is the exciting piece, and Ben, you can come on up. Embrace the adventure. We're going to circle back to Rahab here for a second. You know, Rahab lived on mission for God. And it was her actions that said that justified, that proved her faith in God. She risked her life. She hid the spies. She helped them escape, if you know the story. She laid it all down to obey God. This is what a true Christian does. They embrace the adventure of walking with Jesus. You follow Jesus, and I promise you it's going to be both fulfilling and it's going to be sometimes crazy. (laughs) Because he calls us to do things that are beyond ourselves, that we have to rely on him. And we are in a battle with the enemy that will make it challenging for us. I was in a meeting this past week um, with some church planners that are just new to our area that have moved in from all over the country to be here and, and, and plant churches. In fact, Tono and Courtney were a couple of them that were in this meeting telling their story. And here are these guys, one of the guys said, you know, I was going to be a lawyer and I was getting ready to go to school and I was setting out to set out this big career that I had for me and then I surrendered my life to Christ and now here I am planning a church in Salt Lake City. What in the world is going on with me? Right? And here's Tono and Courtney. A year ago, they were 4,000 miles away from here in a place that they were comfortable and living life well. And now here they are in Salt Lake City to plant a church. And this is living on mission for God. It's filled with risk. It's filled with adventure. But it is so meaningful and really the only way to live. See, it is the, the greatest joy, I think, the only way to live, to give our lives fully and completely to him. For each of us, right, most of us aren't called to plant a church, but what are you called to do? What's your place? What are you made to do? What are you uniquely given by God to do? And do it all for Jesus. Surrender your life to him. And so the question of this text this morning is this, are you surrendered Are you serving people? Are you living a life of obedience? Are you on mission for him? Is he truly your savior? Are you truly his? And that's the question we're to ask ourselves in this text this morning. And so let's just take a moment and quiet ourselves before him. And just search our hearts as we are challenged to do. Have we given our lives to him? Are we surrendered to him? Are we obeying him? Are we living for him? Oh, Jesus, let us be a people who have a faith that's alive and well. 
We're walking in your ways. Help us to trust you with everything we have and then to obey you in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.